down let's get started here okay we're in our study go ahead and keep that till they drop that we're in our study again true riches true riches all right it's like a pit crew up here doesn't it wow look at that run you're running well <laughs> somebody says that all right true riches and uh um, we have our true riches, and again, that's our study, and uh, it's found out of the book of uh, Psalm, chapter 23. Of course, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, again, we take that passage, and of course it's a very familiar passage. It's one that we've seen and heard a number of times. And maybe, maybe you've memorized at least uh, verse 4 or possibly one of the other verses along the way. But the fact is, is that there's, we're learning something from this passage. We're going to learn about true riches from this passage. And uh, over the course of the, uh, the last couple of weeks, we talked about a couple of things. Number one, we talked about you know, true riches versus worldly riches. And we talked about how they're fleeing and how realistically the world's riches you know will be burned up one day and so you know we need to be very cautious and very careful that of course uh, our emphasis and our direction and, and our goals are pointing toward eternal riches uh, godly riches good riches the kind that the bible talks about uh, in in the word of god okay so uh, we talk about true riches then we said that the lord is my shepherd that's a relationship you want to talk about true riches well a relationship with jesus christ is really something valuable now that's valuable. I shall not want. We said there's some supply. We talk about true riches. We're talking about God's supply in our life. Man, now that's a blessing and that's something that's 
I mean, it's just amazing to think that God would supply and meet our needs. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. We said, there's rest right there. Now listen, you can have all the money in the world and not have rest and be miserable in your life. That's just a reality. And so, uh, you know, have uh, the greatest so-called or at least appearance of a family and wonderful home and just all the possessions you'd ever want, the best foods and just, uh, man, have a nice home on the beach or something like that. You can have all of those things, but in the end, rest cometh from the Lord. And let me tell you something, uh, true, a true rich, uh, true riches are found in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that relationship and uh, that rest, those, those are important in that supply. So those are the kind of things that we addressed and we discussed last week. And this week, we want to continue with that realm, and we're going to keep, continue to dissect the book of uh, Psalm chapter 23 and understand what true riches really are. Because again, in our culture, in our society, we've lost sight of what true riches are. We think if you get a good education, and if you get a good paying job, and you've got a good 401k, and you've got a nice car, and you've got a pretty wife, a handsome husband, all the things that I have, then you think that that makes you happy, okay? But those things in and of themselves don't make you happy, okay? Even though I'm extremely happy. Okay, so maybe I don't have all those things. We have a good-looking wife I have and me, good-looking, very, you know, that's different, okay. The rest of that stuff I don't know about. But anyway, so we, we have all of these things. These are true riches, okay. There's a big difference, all right. Now, let's continue on. He leadeth me beside the still waters. We're going to talk about the fact that that's refreshment, the still waters. That's a wonderful thought, isn't it, the still waters. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Help us now in these next few minutes. May you speak to our heart through Psalm 23. And Lord, Holy Spirit of God, may you do your work in our life. Lord, help every Christian in this room, Father, to be more grateful that they're a child of God when they leave than when they came. Help them, Father, to be more thankful for just your goodness when they leave than when they came. Lord, we thank you again for the privilege it is to be called your sons. And we thank you, Father, for the love, the grace that you bestowed upon us. Help us tonight, Lord. May we truly meet with you. Well, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so uh, he leaves me beside the still waters. So you think about a time when maybe you were around, uh, you'd walk him by some little brook or something, and you heard the, just the trickling. Uh, you, you know, you may have heard some trickling water upstream, and then you get down to this real quiet area, and boy, the stillness, just that, that still water and how quiet it is. And man, I, I can just uh, reflect and I think about times in different parks where I've been through the years and you just sit there and reflect on God and his creation. And man, I'll tell you what, it's just an amazing place to be in that stillness. And that's refreshing for us. You know, in the midst of the rat race in which we live and just the high-paced, high-octane lifestyle that we live, you know, every one of us, if we're honest, will say we're just too busy. You know, we, we have all these wonderful tools that the, that the world has come up with to make our lives simpler, like phones and uh, email and uh, Instagram and just Twitter and we've got, all the, you know, the Internet and everything's so much simpler these days, isn't it? We have microwaves today, and we have uh, convection ovens instead of just standard ovens. We don't cook over fire anymore. We don't have to go out and kill the meat and drag it on back home. We, we have the convenience of going to the grocery store now, right? And we have all of these wonderful conveniences. We don't have to have, you know, feed the horse in order to keep it healthy and strong enough so that we can ride it to work. And, I mean, we've got a car to drive in, and we've got these, all these wonderful conveniences that make our lives so much less stressful and so much less busy, and we're able to have all that extra time to 
serve the Lord, love Jesus, and focus our attention on Him. Right? It's not true at all, is it? It seems that every time the world tries to tell us they're going to do something to free up time for us, it only complicates our lives. And you know, the Christian is no different than the world in that regard. I mean, we're just so busy today. And, you know, we, we consider it justified, and, and to some degree it is. I mean, you have to have money to live. You have to provide for this and go here and do this. And, you know, everybody, every kid's got to be on a ball team, right? And every kid's got to be a traveling team now because if they're not, they won't really become a, a star athlete and end up in the NBA. You do yourself. Let me just give you a piece of advice. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. But you know what? Why don't you let your kids just be kids at home? And quit trying to give them baseball bats that cost $250 and traveling halfway around the country, spending your money to make them superstars. If they've got it, they'll get it. And if they don't, guess what? You wasted your time and money traveling around the world while your church is left dormant without you. You're, where are they at? Oh, they're at another one of those tournaments. Oh, they're traveling across the country. And you know what's happening? There's no real refreshment in that. All there is is the rat race. Busy, busy, busy. Burn, burn, burn. Why? Because we think our children have to have those things to be successful. We think we're doing them a favor. But really all we're doing is hurting them because we're more messed up than ever because we're so stressed out all the time trying to provide for them and meet their needs. I just think that we waste a lot of money and time and we, we neglect the things that are most important. I think it would be better for you to play baseball with your kid than to send them somewhere else to play. Now, if you're doing both, that's one thing. But usually we're too busy, so we let someone else do it for us. I don't know. That's just kind of how I look at it. I might be way off my rocker like Betty Crocker. But I don't know. We used to say that when I played baseball. We used to go, pitcher's off his rocker, just like Betty Crocker. That's what it made me think of that. You guys really are, are you even awake today? Okay, so he leaded me besides the waters. Jeremiah 31, 14. Jeremiah 31, 14. And I will satiate, isn't that an interesting word? Satiate the soul of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, saith the Lord. Satiate, what's it mean? To fill, to satisfy appetite or desire, to feed to the full, or to furnish enjoyment to the extent of desire, as to satiate appetite or sense. Again, to satisfy appetite or desire. He says, I will satiate the soul. I'm going to satisfy the soul. I'm going to fill the soul, he says, of the priest with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with the goodness, saith my goodness, saith the Lord. Listen, God wants to do that for us, refreshment. He wants that for us. Well, where do we find that refreshment? We find it in His Word, obviously. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. The bread of life. The bread of life. What do you do with bread? You eat it. What do you do with bread? It sustains us. It strengthens us. It satisfies us. He says, He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Listen, we've got a, we've got a real epidemic a, a real problem today, I guess a real dearth and a, um, a famine in the land of Christian, Christianity today. You know, we are empty in many cases, if we'll be honest. We, we, are, we are just void of, of satisfaction today. And the Bible says here, he says, I'm the bread of life. Boy, I'll tell you what, the Word of God is a place where we find refreshment. It's where we find satisfaction. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence... Then hast thou that living water. Jesus is talking, of course, the woman at the well. That living water. Well, that's refreshing water. That's a lot better than any water you'll ever drink. That may satisfy your thirst for a few moments, but this will satisfy it for eternity. 
And boy, that's important. And so we find that refreshment comes through His Word. We find that refreshment comes through His Spirit. He says in John 7, 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The reference is to the Spirit of God working through and out of us, you know, in and out of us. And, and yet, notice it's rivers of living water again. That's a wonderful thing. And, and that's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for every believer. Okay, he goes on to say, his house is a place where we find refreshment. 1 John 1, 7, for, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I want you to notice a very interesting thought. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, referring to the Lord in the light, we have fellowship with what? Him? No. With one another. You know what it's saying? That if you're really walking in light, you'll want to be in the house of God amongst other believers. Yeah, that's what it says. Do you, really, you ever notice that when people start slap, slipping in their Christian lives, wh- where's the one place they, you don't find them often? You don't find them in God's house. Because they're not as comfortable around the people of God anymore. Why? Because they're lacking fellowship with the light. And guess what's here? Light. Amen. Struggle with that light. And he says, but if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. You say, I got a lot of problems with the people in that church. No, you probably got a lot of problems with God. That's probably what you really got a problem with. Now, I'm not saying that people aren't problems. But you got to remember always this one, tr- one, one important truth. You're a person. So maybe you got a problem too. I mean, I think sometimes that we like to point fingers and blame everybody else. I mean, if Josh would just sit up a little higher, if Josh wouldn't look at me with those cross eyes, if Josh wouldn't sit there and talk about me behind my back, even though I never heard it, nobody told me he did, it's just I can tell he did. I mean, if you're not careful, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I'll tell you what, when we start getting an attitude toward God's people, it's probably because we got an attitude toward God. You be real careful with that. You be real careful with that. Better check your heart. He says, because, and he says, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews 10, 24. Notice what it says here again. We're talking about refreshing. It's a wonderful thing. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Again, we often neglect verse 24, but really that's, that's the, the real kicker when it comes to verse 25. The fact is, is he doesn't want us to forsake the assembling of ourselves together because of a couple reasons. Number one, he wants each of us to inspire and encourage others in these areas of love and good works. And not only that, but he wants us to be inspired and encouraged in those areas. Now listen, if you're a child of God tonight, and you're, you're, you're a child of God that really wants God to work in your life, there's no doubt that what you want more than anything else is, is you want to be provoked unto love and good works. You want to be someone that loves people. You want to be doing the right things. You want to be living right. Well, guess what? That's, where do you go to do that? God's house. Now, if you don't want to do that, where probably does it seem like it's a waste of time to go? God's house. It's just a waste of time. Why would I go to God's house if I don't want to be provoked to love? I mean, all I care about is those, those people down at that church are a bunch of self-righteous jerks. There you go. Why in the world would you want to go down there? You're obviously not being provoked to love or good works. As a matter of fact, all you want to do is put people down. It's kind of hard to want to end up in God's house when your goal is not to get what God says that's what you'll be getting. How, okay, by the way, you come here and we're going to try to encourage you to love. I don't want to love. I can't stand those people. 
Isn't that sad? Okay. Now listen, I know that that's not happening in our church at all, nor has it ever. But the fact is, is that it could happen, and sometimes we see things like that, and it's unfortunate. Okay, so we said, as we walk in the light, we'll have fellowship, as we said, with one another. That fellowship's going to refresh us, because it's going to provoke us to love and good works. And that's what it's all about. What's, what's, hey, listen, do you really think that I have Brother Ricky Moon coming this coming week so that I can take a day off? You think that's a day off for me? You, I mean, you really think when I don't preach, I'm off? I mean, and I appreciate what people say to me. Like, oh, how's it feel to have a day off, preacher? I understand that. I, I do. I, I get where you're going with that. You're, and you're correct. And let me tell you something. I, I, did not, I don't have to prepare for Sunday like I normally do. Man, that's a blessing. But I had to go to the hospital. I, had, I have three people in the hospital day alone. Okay, whether I got to prepare or not. Now, I didn't have that last week when I had to prepare. So God spared me that. But now I don't have to prepare. So God says, guess what? It's time to catch up. That's all I'm saying. It seems like when, you know, no matter what you do, you never get ahead, right? You know how what I'm talking about. So in a sense, it's not a big deal. Then plus Ricky Moon comes in, and I, I have the pressure of, now I've got to take care of this guy now. Now, you think that I'm a real fellowship bug. I'm not a fellowship bug. That's not my nature. I'm like, Brother Ricky, you're on your own. See ya. <laughs> do you know how many times I went out with Brother Hamblin when he was here for the three days? Once. Sunday night after church. That's it. He says, brother, you know, would you have a problem if I... I said, no, no, no. Wouldn't have a bit of problem with that, brother. You go right ahead, do what you got to do. Okay, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. But down deep, I said, listen, dude, you don't have to worry about that. You never have to worry about that with me. Now, listen, that's just my nature. So, for me, it's stressful sometimes to be off. It's easier just to do what I always do every day. Some of you know what I'm talking about at work. You know, when you're off, you're sitting at home going, what should I do? I got to do something, got to do something, got to do something. You, you ever do that? That's me. I get nervous. I should be busy right now. Why am I trying to relax? Do you do that? I, I do. I don't know what it is. Okay, so anyway, this, this is refreshing though. See, we get in the presence of God in His Word. We get in the presence of God through His Spirit. We get in the presence of God in the house of God. Man, that's refreshing. That's that still water. Amen? Also, He says, He restoreth my soul. Hey, you know what? We think about restoring our soul. That's healing. God gives us healing. You want to talk about a true, true you talk about true riches? We're talking about that refreshment that comes from the Word of God and, and from the Spirit of God and from the house of God. We're talking about this aspect of healing. He, Matthew fifteen thirty. And great multitudes came unto him, having, them with, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. You know that our God still heals? He's able to do this. He still is able to do that. And, and he does it. And you know what? Let me tell you something. If God heals you, uh, of a physical ailment, there, there's no money in the world that could make up for that. I mean, that's an amazing thing. To watch God do a miracle like that in your body and in your life, that's amazing. That, you talk about riches. There are people today that would give every last dollar they have to be healed. Every last dollar. I grow a little weary about so-called faith healers. I, I grow weary about it. Because if they could really heal, let me tell you, there'd be a line way out the door. I mean, way out. You say, no, that's just because people don't believe they're healers. Uh-uh. No, that's not it. It's because they can't heal. God heals. People, men don't heal no more. It's not like it used to be, folks. It will be one day as we leave this world as far as the rapture is concerned that God begins to deal with his people who require a sign again in the tribulation period. Absolutely. There'll be signs of healing again. There'll be tongues again. There'll be those issues again that were here the first time Christ came. 
obviously. All that stuff will begin to start trickling back in, working its way back in as God begins to deal with his people again. They require a sign. We do not. As a result of that, healing was one of those signs as well. We're going to see that kind of healing again. I'm talking about where it happens right there. I mean, and, and, and this whole thing about, you know, faith healers and churches, let me tell you something. Don't you buy into that. And you know the temptation is to go and maybe try it out if you're really desperate. You, you, you may try that, okay? But don't expect too much, let me tell you that. You say, well, but if my faith isn't... Yeah, I know. Thousands of people lose their healing, according to certain preachers, because they didn't have the faith to keep it. Last time I checked, when Jesus healed somebody, they stayed healed. I, I'm having a real problem with this stuff. And furthermore, I never understand why they get sick. I don't get it. And somebody says, well, you know, whatever, you know. But, but I, I just don't understand certain things. And I'd be rich. If I could heal today, I guarantee you, there'd be a lot of you that come to me tomorrow. You'd come to me. I would never have to pass a plate in this church to get money if I really needed it. I'd say, you know what? You don't have to give me a dime, but we've got a building up there that could use some money. If you're seriously thankful for what God did by healing you, using me as, an oper- as, as a tool or an instrument, would you just make a donation to that right up there? I guarantee you, we wouldn't have to worry about paying bills on the carousel. And they'd be lined up. I'd never get a day off. I mean, there'd be people beating my door down to get in there. There's no, real, there's no faith healers like that today. Let me tell you something. Did Jesus have opportunity to rest? The Bible says that he, he had to try to steal away. He prayed, had all-night prayer meetings. You want to know why? Because that's the only time people slept. It's the only time he could talk to God. Because he was always busy every time he was awake. Well, guess what? That's how a faith healer would be if he was really a healer. Now, physical healing, however, takes a backseat to spiritual healing and emotional healing today. And that is something we have to keep in mind in the New Testament. We talk about it often. In the Old Testament, physical. In the New Testament, spiritual. God's blessings are primarily spiritual in the New Testament, not physical. That does not diminish, nor does it take away from God's ability to heal. But we do need to realize that God is often focusing on, on the spiritual. He healed those that were oppressed of devils, we find out. Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit of God was needed in the life of God? Isn't that something? And yet we'll go through our life in our flesh trying to do the work of God when Jesus himself was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Again, his emphasis even then was focusing on not just the physical, but the spiritual. As we move into the New Testament, it's important to understand that, that the spiritual blessings are paramount, that they're most emphasized. Matthew five twenty-eight. Here's a thought, and this is interesting to me. He goes on to say, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right eye offend thee, what's he say to do? Pluck it out. And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should for for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, what do you do with it? Get rid of it. Cut it off. Why? And, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now I want you to notice the emphasis here. He's talking about some things that are pretty important here. He's talking about the state or the, 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 uh, the state of your heart, okay? And he's saying, I'm more concerned about your spirit and I'm more concerned about your heart than I am about your physical body. The fact is, is if your physical body, if you are bound by a certain sin and it's caused by that eye, you'd be better off to get rid of that eye. 
lose the eye, save the soul. Lose the eye, purify the heart. That's the emphasis that God has on these issues. He says, okay, go ahead. You can't keep your hands off. Cut the, cut the hand off. Better to cut that hand off and not touch the, the unclean than to turn around and touch it and be, be corrupted in the heart. Now, again, that's what God's focus is, and that's what he's talking about. And, again, he, he places the greatest emphasis on spiritual things, and it's very evident here through a passage like that. And although we most often are concerned about the physical, God's foremost concern is the spiritual, and that's important to understand. 1 Timothy 4.8, bodily exercise, he says, profiteth what? Little. It profiteth little. But notice something. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, that's good. And of that which is to come. So he says, it's a twofold, it's a sword. It's a two-edged two sword. This, this element of godliness, it's profitable not just in this life, but the next life. Now, what's the problem with bodily exercise? It profits little. Why? Because it's only good in this life. And second, it's only good for a portion of this life because there comes a point where you can't do it anymore. Now, here, here's the thing. Again, if you think about bodily exercise, what are we talking about? We're talking about maybe um, working out with weights. We're talking about running. We're talking about possibly walking at a brisk rate. Uh, you know, keeping track of your, your, your calories, keeping track of your, your intake, your nutrition, and, and working on your body. And, he's, and, and listen, he, he doesn't say that it's not profitable, but he says it profiteth what? Little. Why does he say little? Because it profited little in comparison to godliness that profits immensely, both now and eternally. That, that's the emphasis here again. So how much time do you spend exercising? How much time do you spend trying to keep your body in check? I mean, I, I mean how, how often or how much time do you spend walking around the block for the purpose of staying healthy? Bodily exercise profit little. God says, okay, that, that may be important in its place, but how come we neglect the thing that God says, though, is most important, and that is what? Godliness. Godliness. How much time do we spend trying to identify the sin in our heart so that we can be cleansed of it and be pure and holy, righteous and godly? Now, again, we spend time reading the Bible, but sometimes we read the Bible never once thinking, I'm reading this Bible so God can point out sin in my life. We read the Bible never once realizing that the purpose of that is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to understand what it is He is, who He is, what He's all about so that I can become everything He is, not just do everything He did. See, you can do what Jesus did and not be pure in your heart, not be righteous. But you can't be righteous in your heart and like Christ and not do what he did. Did you get that? If you get that straight, you will do with these what God did. But you can do this and still be as corrupt and wicked and sinful in your heart as anything. That's how people can sing in the choir and commit adultery. That's how people can sing in the choir and commit fornication one with another. That's how they can, that's how they can um, do the things that they do and even at times not even blush because they've never identified the real purpose of their existence and the fact is they do some things that are right and they convince themselves that that's enough and it outweighs the bad. But it doesn't because God's not looking at the outside. God's concerned about the inside most importantly and he's worried about godliness. So again, the fact is, although... This healing 
today we, we focus primarily on the spiritual versus the physical. I, I want you to realize and never forget, however, though, that in no way does that diminish God's ability and desire to heal according to his word. I've watched God physically heal people. I've seen that. I've, I've, I've recognized that. And, and we have to acknowledge that. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But the, the, the reality today is, is that, man, true riches are found in God's supernatural touch and his healing. And you know what? The world can have every doctor they want to have and have the best insurance that money can afford. But the fact is, is unless the holy God of heaven reaches down and touches a heart and a life, listen, there's no more hope than a man on the moon because there's not a doctor in the world that can heal the kind of diseases that we face today. But God can give grace to each and every one of us in the midst of it all. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Now again, notice there's righteousness again. It always comes up. True riches are found in a holy lifestyle. They're not found in a corrupt mind or corrupt thinking or fleshly observation. It is spiritual. It's all spiritual. And that's why he says if a man looketh on a a, a woman and lusteth after he's already committed adultery. Because see, God again sees past this and into this. That's the important aspect of it. And by the way, the Bible says if you hate your brother, you've murdered him. It's, you've committed murder. So again, God's looking at the heart again. And those are the things that we fail to recognize and preach enough in our churches. And so what happens is, is we have a very nice looking congregation, but we have a corrupted internal, a, 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 an internally corrupted people. We're very shallow in our Christian walk. And, and we're doing right things, but we aren't being right things. You know, we got wrong attitudes and we got wrong perspectives and wrong outlooks and wrong attitudes toward people even. You know, we walk in and there's that person that drives us nuts and, and we get to the point where we actually hate them. But then we'll turn around, sing in the choir, teach Sunday school, we'll go out soul winning, we'll do all the right things, but we hide hatred in our heart. We're committing murder, the Bible says. But yet, as a murderer, we go and do the work of God. And we think God looks at us and says, well, like we do, we reason it out and say, well, I'm just like everybody, I got my sin. And, but I'm doing all these good things. That's not how God sees it. God would rather you be right with one another, and right, right with Him and right with one another, than to do anything for Him. Because the truth is, until you're right with Him and right with others, you aren't doing it in the right power. You're doing it in your own flesh. And that is useless in God's economy. And so we have to be very careful that we're right with God, right with others first. Then we can do the work of God and only then. In this case, again, he leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Right away we understand where it's supposed to lead, don't we? And that's, that's priceless right there. That's, a, that's true riches. Righteousness. The promise of this guidance. It's found in Isaiah 58, 11. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring water, whose waters fail not. Notice again, and the Lord shall guide thee, what? Continually. Every believer in this room has the promise that God will guide them continually. If God is not guiding you, it's because you are not allowing Him to guide you. The steps of the Lord are ordered by the Lord, and He delighteth in His steps, uh, in His way. You know what? God wants to order your steps. God's trying to say, here, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Hey, look, come with me. And you know what? We're all, I want to, but man, I don't. Uh. 
Wait a second. He's trying to guide us continually. He's offering guidance to us. And we have, we have so many means by which that can take place. And yet, He promises it. So it's ours. Uh, every man in the room, you have guidance. You say, well, I don't know what to do about my job. I don't know what to do about my finance. I don't know what to do about my marriage. Well, go to the one who guides. He'll help you. I'm not saying that you're going to just open the Bible one day and go, bam, there it is. But I'm saying there, if you'll dig into that book, you'll get on your knees, if you'll trust the Lord Jesus, if you'll allow him to lead, and he uses a number of tools to do that. He uses godly counsel. He uses wise counsel. He uses pastoral counsel. He uses biblical counsel. He uses your own personal devotions. He uses the Spirit of God illuminating and lighting you and enlightening you. Hey, all of those aspects, he's guiding. He's guiding continually. The promise of his guidance. We see the source of that guidance. Psalms 105 again, we said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. See, the Word of God provides the believer with the needed tools to successfully navigate life. You know what? This is, this is a fallacy, and we'll note it here in just a moment. It, it says right here, well, let's just note it right now. The Word of God does not benefit unless the Holy Spirit illuminates. That's a reality. You can read your Bible all day, every day, but if the Holy Spirit of God doesn't come down and illuminate your heart and open up your eyes spiritually, you are blind as a bat to the Word of God. It's all there's to memorize Scripture all you want. And you may have it memorized, and that's good. Memorize it. But if you're not seeking the Lord, if you're not truly depending on the Spirit of God to illuminate you, to, to make it resounding in your life, then this book is sounding brass. It's not doing anything of value overall in your life. And you'll look at it and say, God promised to do this, and God promised, I don't understand this book. It doesn't make any sense to me. Of course it don't make sense to you because you're not spiritually able to understand it without the Holy Spirit. People dig into it that don't have faith in Christ. And they say, I don't get how you believe in the Lord. It doesn't, I don't get it. Of course you don't get it. It's a spiritually discerned book. And so he says, how be it when the spirit of truth has come, the spirit of truth being the Holy Ghost, he will guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into all truth. We've got this supernatural guidance. God promised to guide us. But then he said the source of that guidance is the word of God being illuminated by the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, for he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he, he shall, uh, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit, now this is an interesting statement that I wrote. The Holy Spirit will never lead you where God's word hasn't gone. You need to understand that. That's important. And, and, and um, I, it just, it makes sense because the fact is, is that the word of God is guide, will guide you. The problem is you need the Holy Spirit to illuminate you in the midst of it all. And the fact is, is that, you know, uh, he's not going to lead you where God's word hasn't gone. So if someone comes up to me and says, and I get tired of this, I get a little bit fed up with it. I, I grow weary of people always telling, well, the Holy Spirit, God, the, God spoke to me. God told me. God shared with me. God said this. God did that. God did this. And I say, really? Isn't that interesting? It's funny how the very things God told you to do don't even align themselves with what He said to do in the Word of God. I don't get it. How in the world can you tell me that God put you with that woman when you're married? I don't... How did... God did that? Oh, the Lord led me to her. The Lord put us together. It was amazing what God did. Really, that's interesting because last time I checked, you had a wife. I don't get that. And, and, you know, teenagers and, and adults alike, we use this so, we flip it around just so flippantly. The Holy Spirit, God told me and God did it. God, God. Well, wait a second. Where's our life lining up in the Word of God? If, if the Holy Spirit will never tell you to do anything, this book doesn't. Well, God told me to buy this. And then just a, two years later, we, we had to file bankruptcy. 
God told you to buy that big old house over there. He told you to buy that big, I mean big house. Big house over there. God led me. God told me. Two years later, you're, you're doing what? Violating the word of God by filing bankruptcy. Oh, wait, wait a second. I, I'm having a hard time. I suppose he told you to buy that Lincoln Continental too. And he told you to buy that instead of, you know, uh, instead of just what you needed, you had to buy this. Wait, you better be careful blaming God. And you already said blaming. Because that reflects poorly on him when God's people do not follow through on financial principles. When God's people neglect the word of God and handle things in their own flesh. And then we want to say it was God that did it. God told me to move. God told me to, to, to take this job. God told me to go here. God told me to go. You better make sure the Holy Spirit's leading. And it better line up with the word of God, not just, God doesn't just say, thus saith the Lord on every issue. It's principles. Are the principles lining up? This Holy Spirit will illuminate and he'll direct us from the word of God. He never tells us to do anything that isn't already defined and outlined in this book. I can guarantee you that right now. Because he doesn't speak of himself. He doesn't act independently of God himself. And this book right here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he follows the leadership of God and the Son. He does nothing on his own. Nothing. For he shall not speak of himself. So be careful that you don't put words in his mouth. That should have been a big H, by the way. That you put words in his mouth. Okay, so that's important. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I get concerned about that. It bothers me a little bit. I just want us to understand it. I, I have no problem. If you believe God's leading you to do something, that's fine. But if, I'll tell you what, we'd be a lot safer if we could look at a principle and say, right here in the passage, the Bible says this. Every, instead of saying, God didn't tell me not to do it, I, I want to find out what he told you to do it then, right? Not, why shouldn't I do that? But show me why you should do that. God didn't tell me not to buy this house. God didn't tell me not to buy that car. God didn't tell me not to go here and take that job. God didn't tell me not to be with that girl. Well, show me in the Word why you should be. Show me why you should be. Let's challenge it the other way. Let's find a biblical reason for everything we do instead of trying to come up with a reason why, uh, with just saying, well, I've not found a reason not to. Well, let's find a reason why we should. Well, that's the big difference. And finally, number three, as we close, the exclusiveness of this guidance. You know what? You can't trust yourself and neither can I to guide. You can't do it. We can't do it. I don't, I don't care how much education you have. I don't care how much Bible knowledge you've uh, accumulated through the years. doesn't matter how much Bible school you have. You, you, you start trying to guide yourself, direct yourself, decide what direction you're going to go. In life. You're going to be in a mess. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You know, somebody says, well, I'm going to go into business with somebody. Okay, let's find out something. First of all, uh, what's the standard? What's the relationship with the person you're going into business with? What's their relationship with Christ? Well, you know, they claim to be a Christian. I see. Do they go to church three times a week? Are they out soul winning like you are? Well, no. Then you're unequally yoked. You can't enter into that relationship. It's a biblical principle. Do you agree on the major doctrines of the Word of God? Do you agree on the uh, principles of separation? Well, we have some disagreements. Well, how can two be together? How can two walk together except they be agreed? How can that happen? Now, again, I'm not saying that we don't make mistakes along the way. I'm just saying before we give God credit for the relationships we enter into, the, the adventures we entered into, let's make sure that biblical principle backs everything. It's not, well, God just led me to do this. Did He really lead you to do that or did you just neglect His Word? And it was just safer and it was easier and it was really what you wanted anyway. 
trying to protect you. I'm trying to help you. Listen, I ran to a dealership the other day. Could have bought me a car for fifteen five. Great car, good price. Let me tell you something. I couldn't afford it. As great a deal as it was, I could not pull the trigger. Because financially, I wasn't in a position to do so. Now, why would I do that? Because the Bible says to count the cost. I could have neglected that and said, but it's such a great deal. And if I just do this, it's a monthly fee. I could swing it. I, I know I could swing it. Well, okay, I could probably swing it. But then you know what I'd probably be doing the whole time? Man, if I just didn't have this building fund. I wish I wouldn't have made such a big commitment to the building fund. Well, I wish I wouldn't have made such a big commitment to the, to the, to the, the, the uh, faith promise. Boy, I wish I didn't give above and beyond the tithe. Man, you know what? I, this, I'm just going to have to back off a little bit, I think. Uh, but God knows we're going to need a car sooner or later, and it's going to start breaking down. This one's been giving me some problems. And you, you, Oh, wow. Do you see, wait a second. You say you really think like that? No, that's what God tells us to think like. Because, see, we ought to be putting a little bit more stock and a little bit more emphasis on spiritual matters, not physical. Somebody says, ah, that's just because you're the preacher. Okay, believe what you want. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's the reality of it. Why can't, why can't necessarily, we can't necessarily trust others to guide us. Uh, you know what? It says, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. It's a nice, that's, that's a good image, isn't it? Some guy's blind and you're following him. He, fall in a, he falls in a ditch, guess where you fall? The ditch with him. Okay? You say, what makes him blind? He has no spiritual illumination. Doesn't mean that he doesn't have a degree in finances. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a degree in marital counseling. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a degree in uh, education. I'm not talking about that. But he don't have spiritual illumination. You better be careful that you're not trusting in man's wisdom. Trust in God's wisdom, that's all. Understand that just because somebody has education doesn't make them spiritual, doesn't make them right. God says that we need to be more concerned about where we end up in life than just what we do in life. If we are not following the Lord and those that are doing the same, then we're destined for ruin. If the pastor isn't doing right, if he's not doing what God says to do from the Word of God, not from what he says he should be doing, but what the Word of God says, then you know what? You shouldn't follow him. It's just a reality. You should not follow him. You cannot follow the blind because you end up where they end up. And they have no clue where they're going. I'm not referring to physical blind people because they're very wise in many cases and they're very fortunate in that the Lord's blessed them with other senses that seem to be heightened as a result of that. But nonetheless, the reality is, is that he's talking about spiritual blindness. Okay, so true riches. They aren't the things that we can possess and hold in our hands often. They're things really that we find in our life and in our hearts. What's important to you? What's valuable to you today? What's valuable to you? I mean, really valuable. Somebody says, my children. That's good. But you know what? You may not have your children. God may take them. Okay, what are you going to do then? Oh, my wife, my husband. That's true, but you may not have them. You're not guaranteed. Will you still serve and love the Lord? See, what's really most important to you? When it's all said and done, if the Lord Jesus Christ is not the most important in your life, I mean the most important, then the devil will only use something to get between you and him. He'll use someone or something to get between the two of you. You've got to make him first a priority in your life. And there's some of you that have been through hard times and you know how tempting it is to be bitter at God. But that one thing that pulled you through was that relationship that you'd worked on all those years. And you couldn't deny that he was good to you all those years. 
and you thought, I don't know how I can continue to trust him, but I know he's been good all these years. I'm just going to trust. I don't know how you do it. When God gives me the grace, if that comes in time in my life, I have to deal with that, he'll give me grace just like he gave you. I've got to believe that. I don't think I'd have it right now because I don't need it. But boy, I'd need it. If I needed it, he'd give it to me. What's first for you? What's, what's first in your life? Let's focus on true riches. Let's not allow ourselves to get caught up in the rat race of life, but instead trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you know what? We can always trust the Lord to guide us. That's the truth. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, say the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an unexpected end. There's not one thing God has or allows in our life that isn't for our good, even though it may not seem like it. And that's not e- it's easy to preach and it's easy to talk about. It's, easy, it's hard to live that. But the reality is, is he, he, he has some wonderful thoughts toward us. He loves you, cares about you more than anybody else. And we cannot doubt that ever in our life. May our relationship and our walk with the Lord provide us with these true riches because that's indeed where they flow and from whence they come. Father, we love you. We thank you again.